0: Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. How's Vera? Any luck getting her in the uh, family way yet? Still working on it. Hey, Norm, you want a kid? Eh, not really. uh, Just kind of going along with it to shut Vera up, you know? (laughs) Says she wants to start a family, so she'll have something to do. Poor Norm here has been shooting blanks the last couple of months. (laughs) little louder, Cliff. We'll dance to it, huh? Come on. (laughs) Hey, don't worry, Nami. You'll be planting your seed before you know it. Uh, I hope so. Doc says if something doesn't happen soon, we may have to take a drastic step. You mean sleep together? Hello and welcome to a new season of Cheers Cast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and I'm thrilled to kick off our coverage of season three of my favorite TV show, Cheers. Sitting next to me at the virtual bar is a good friend of the Fire and Water Network. He is the host of Secret Wars and Beyond over at the Pulp to Pixel Network. Please welcome Sean Ross to the show. What's up, Sean?
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: It's, it's going well. It's going well. I am happy to be back in this comfortable bar stool this comfortable setting uh and and revisiting the things that i love how about you
1: i'm so desperate for human company right now (laughs) that even the pretense of being at a bar with a buddy is like enough to make my 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 weekend so i'm good
0: (laughs) yeah watching the show i was like why are they sitting so close together
1: (laughs) i seriously had a moment of like oh my god they're on the east coast aren't they wearing masks and i was like oh different century different century sean
0: (laughs) Um. Yeah, so this is your first time on Cheerscast, so you get the standard question, what is your story? How did you discover the show? When and what did you think about it?
1: So like many people, uh, I think I discovered the show as background to my childhood. <laughs> uh, my parents would watch it. My my dad in particular, when he was around, was a big fan, and, and I, remember, I remember episodes being on. And I have a vivid memory of some of the scenes from the first couple seasons, in particular. But I was really young, and so it wasn't a show that necessarily captured my attention. But then I, I vividly remember season three. I remember Fraser, you know, Woody, all of these addition. Or I, know, I guess Woody's coming later, but I remember like Fraser coming, Woody coming, you know, um, Lilith, and and all of those characters really vividly. So this is about where I plugged in. And then I have a, a very vivid and weird memory from I took a a trip from Oregon to Arizona and it was a drive which is was not pleasant as a kid and I must have run out of comics somehow I must have just like read everything I had with me a million times because I just grabbed a magazine I grabbed a people magazine my sister was reading and it was a Kirstie Alley cover story about how awful her first like couple weeks on cheers was (laughs) and like how how like traumatic it was and that she was really struggling, and no one, you know, like the cast was great, you know, it was fine to her, but it was like it was clear from the start that no one wanted her to replace Diane, and she didn't know how to fit in, and the writers didn't really know how to write her. And I, I remember being a kid and being like really upset that she was going through this. I mean, I was young too; I was really young, so I have this weird, like, I'm always rooting for Kirstie Alley thing that I <laughs> that comes out of this show, and so it's 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 a, one of the more bizarre facets of my life that I I have real investment in her in her well being. <laughs>
0: with all of the movie remakes that are going on right now, I don't know why we can't get another look who's talking with her and John
1: Travolta. Oh, yeah. It writes itself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, I, as you sort of alluded to this season, uh, we're going to see some changeovers in the cast, the inclusion of new members and eventually the farewell of a beloved member. Um, also, as we have often mentioned on the show, Cheers had ranked dead last in the Nielsen ratings the week that it premiered back in 1982, but it steadily ticked up as the weeks went by, and that was bolstered by critical praise in the awards. Um, By the time of this 1984-1985 season, Cheers was one of the anchors of NBC's powerhouse Mm -hmm. Thursday night lineup, which included, for the first time, The Cosby Show. That was something. That aged well, uh, yeah. And and that was followed by Family Ties, Cheers, Night Court, and Hill Street Blues. Uh, and this lineup consistently bested the Thursday lineups of rival networks CBS and ABC. And the season three premiere of Cheers that we we're about to discuss ranked at number seven in the weekly ratings. As I mentioned, going way back to the very first episode, I mean that like I remember that lineup. Even though this was, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been watching this show at the time. Um, like I didn't jump in and really start focusing in uh, for for a couple more years, but I remember that block of Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, and Night Court, and I wasn't watching Hill Street Blues or whatever came after that. But it was just that was you know the the standard of must see TV, you know, before they got Seinfeld or, or Friends or any of those other things. Long before that, so.
1: I remember it vividly, particularly Night Court because mm-hmm. Harry Anderson. I don't, I don't I mean just when you were a child, like you had to love him, right? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know course. what it was about his energy, but I, I immediately attached to that show, which actually weirdly carried me into Hill Street Blues. <laughs> and Hill Street Blues is one of my favorite dramas, cop shows of all time. And it was grossly inappropriate for me <laughs> at like seven, eight, nine to be sure. watching it, but I learned a lot about life from Hill Street Blues, and I became a, a, such a Stephen Bochco fan that I was I was there for Cop Rock. I was there for the the inaugural episode, and I think I was the only one who came back for episode two. I,
0: I wasn't there for Cop Rock, and I, Hill Street Blues was a little bit before my time. I would discover it later on, um, but I I was h- hardcore all in at NYPD Blue because that, that mm-hmm. was a, a very formative age for me, and seeing nudity and hearing curse words on a network television show, and like I could, I could stay up to watch that one. It was a big Deal. and i was watching that by myself my parents didn't care about it but they let me stay up to 10 so i could watch nypd blue and i loved that show
1: yeah i did too and i think it explains a lot because i think america all grew up to be dennis franz so like i think <laughs> as a kind of nation we are dennis franz and <sighs> nypd blue and it actually it actually you just clicked something for me ryan i think an entire generation was impacted by that
0: oh we're all sipowitz <laughs> <laughs> all right moving back to cheers so getting in Season 3, Episode 1. This is Rebound, Part 1. That's a little bit of a spoiler of what happens at the end of this one. This episode is written by the creators Glenn and Les Charles, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, September 27th, 1984. It's been six months since Sam and Diane broke up and she left the bar. Sam has relapsed, not just drinking again, but chasing every girl in Boston. When he comes to the bar, drunk and accompanied by a pair of baton twirlers, Carla tells him that the eighth waitress he hired to replace Diane has just quit because of his womanizing, the same reason the previous seven quit, too. While Sam's new, old behavior entertains Norman and Cliff, it hurts Coach and Carla, who have seen Sam like this before. Desperate to help his friend, Coach leaves to find the one person he thinks can help Sam quit drinking again. And that person is Diane, who has just today returned home after three months at a psychiatric care facility in Connecticut. Coach asks her to stop by Cheers and talk to Sam. But Cheers, Sam, and even Coach are part of Diane's old life that she wants to move beyond. She might not be entirely over them, however, as she's unable to even say Sam's name out loud. Coach pleads with her and tells her about Sam's relapse. Later that day, Sam stumbles out of the office and is ready to go home when Coach asks him to stick around and wait for an old girlfriend. When Carla guesses he means Diane, she's furious. Sam thinks Coach couldn't possibly be referring to Diane, but when Coach says she's on her way over, Sam gets just as furious. Diane arrives and tries to be civil with Sam, but their old fights resume almost immediately. Sam protests that his drinking isn't because he's depressed Diane left him. He's been celebrating her absence all of these months. Diane asks Sam to see a psychiatrist friend of hers. Sam laughs at the idea, and then laughs at her when he learns of her mental breakdown after their breakup. When Norm and Cliff and even Carla agree that Sam should talk to the psychiatrist, though, he lashes out at Coach for turning them against him. At last, Diane challenges him to see her doctor or else live as a coward who won't face the truth of his alcoholism. Reluctantly, Sam agrees to talk with her doctor, who happened to be at the bar watching the whole exchange. Dr. Fraser Crane introduces himself and invites Sam for a cup of coffee. Sam goes to clean himself up and tells Coach that the reason Diane came back is because she's still in love with him. When he walks in the office, he doesn't see the encounter between Diane and Fraser, or realize that they have been dating, and it's the doctor she's in love with now. To be continued. So, Sean, what did you think of Rebound Part One?
1: I loved this episode. I'm. I, it's funny uh, just listening to your show and then knowing I was going to be a guest on this episode. I was sort of looking over the seasons, you know, on on Hulu, and and I was popping in and out of later seasons for like big episodes that I loved. And I and I realized one, it was also age. I was just really young when this show came on, so I didn't attach to it until until season three. But two, this show really opens up for me when it becomes more ensemble-driven. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually like this show a lot more once the si- Sam and Diane romance is put to rest and once the writers realize that you know Sam and Kirstie um, Alley's character – whose name I'm blanking on right now. Rebecca. Um, that, uh, Rebecca, thank you. That Sam and Rebecca aren't necessarily going to be a couple. And when they just let it be, when they're just like, no, we're just going to be a fun ensemble show, that's for me when it becomes – you know the show I I mo the seasons I most fondly remember, which is unusual because usually it's the other way around with a show, right? Like you you latch on to the first few seasons and then you watch it, you know, maybe go on. And for Cheers, for me, just got stronger as it went. So I love this episode because I love the coming of Fraser Crane because for me, it's like it's it's almost this is such a dumb analogy, Ryan. I apologize. It's almost like Cheers entering puberty. Like it's the <laughs> uh, it really is. It's we- I know that sounds really dumb, but like. The first couple seasons, you know, it's Sam and Diane, and that energy is great, and those actors are amazing and combustible, and, you know, they're starting to figure everything out. And then when Frazier comes in, it it adds that element of anything's possible on this show. Like, you're going to have this erudite Harvard psychiatrist who's pulling up to the bar next to a mailman and an accountant, and that's like the beauty of the recipe of the show. So I was really excited about this episode. I'd like to tell you, watching it in retrospect, and knowing what Frazier Crane is going to go on to be, not only on Cheers but even after, having him sitting there inconspicuously <laughs> while all of this is happening feels like the moment in a murder movie where, like, the person you know is the killer because they're the most famous person in the movie is, like, standing in the background. And you're like, oh, why is John Malkovich in the background? And you're like, <laughs> oh, someone's going to die. So I, it was a little eerie, but I, I did love it. I, it's, it's It was fondly remembered and it, it lived up to the memory.
0: Big picture, I I tend to agree with you. Um, I I think and I actually, I saw this on like a a Twitter exchange a couple of months ago. Like people were talking, it was like it was the anniversary of Diane's last appearance, which is at the end of season 5. And I just followed the thread of all of these people who were there watching from day one, who said basically after she left, the show never recovered, and they bailed. The the Rebecca years were terrible, they were trash, and they just they were like, it was just a different show. And I'm reading this, I was like, you people are insane. Yeah, I was like, and, and I I firmly believe, and watching this has, has verified it for me, Diane was a better character. And I like Kirstie Alley, too, and I like Rebecca a lot for many of her seasons. I don't think she always had the best stuff to do, but I think Diane is a better character, and I think mm-hmm. Shelley Long is a better actress. But when it was the the Sam and Diane show, it was all about them and even when you had an occasional episode where it was Carla focused or Norm focused or something else going on frequently the last people in the episode talking would be Sam and Diane it would always come back to them you knew that that was about and when Diane left I think they rightly decided we can't recreate that same magic we have to do something different and they they. Brought in Rebecca, who did have a different chemistry with Sam and a different working relationship, but you're right; they also fleshed it out. And by then, the cast had developed and had changed, and you had characters like Frazier, Will see, and like Woody, eventually, mm-hmm. who could hold their own and carry more episodes and be a little bit more leads. And and that's something that I'll get to a lot more as as they go on. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, getting back to this issue, I mean, the, with like no bearing the lead. This is the first appearance of Kelsey Grammer as Dr. Fraser Crane. Mm-hmm. He would go on to play this character for 20 consecutive years. He did the latter nine years of Cheers and then went right into 11 years of Frasier. And in between, he also played the same character on episodes of Wings. And I think <laughs> another show, I want to say he played the character in four or five different TV shows. that's interesting I I knew about Wings
1: I didn't know about others
0: maybe I could be wrong but I think I want to say he did and I'll, I'll have to look into that like on IMDB for the next episode or something but I think I think he played the character on four at least four different TV shows um, but over the course of twenty years, and and he was—I uh, mean, he wasn't really known before this. He had done a few TV uh, like miniseries, like like uh, you know, a few soap operas, and he was in a miniseries uh, called Kennedy and one about George Washington. And the character, according to the, the the writers, he was just meant to be a temporary character for mm-hmm. this story arc. Kind of, he was he was the third man, he was he was or the the second man. He was intruding on Sam and Diane getting back together right away, uh, which they thought might just be for the first couple episodes, or it might go the entire season. It kind of depended on the way the audience reacted, or or what the how the the writing went um and apparently the producers and everybody on the show liked him a lot they loved him but the fans didn't the fans oh really treated, apparently the fans treated him much like they treated Kirstie Alley in the beginning of the Rebecca season like he got death threats like the viewers didn't like wow. him wow i don't know if it was as strong as death threats but he did t- like people would approach him on the street he actually started getting recognized by fans of the show and they're like hey you're the one who's you're the one who's uh, who stole Diane from Sam or things like that and he's like <laughs> are you talking about
1: this um which is so strange because Frasier – like one of the, the beauty of this, and, and I really do think of it as the opening up of this show, mm-hmm. is a character like Frasier is so unusual be, because he's he's such – he's not the typical definition of, of masculinity. He's not somebody that could rival like the, the kind of pure id that is Sam Malone. So they went the other way, right? They go like super ego. They go almost right. the male Diane, which makes sense as an initial formula – and it plays out that way at first. But even in the even in part two, even in the second episode of this season, he's funny. Mm-hmm. And he's he can go back and forth with Sam in a way that's that's really dynamic. And there's a great energy between he and Ted Danson that I think they must have picked up on. And I think it's something grammars bring into the table. Yeah. Like I don't know that it was in the script. So I, I love it because I think he's wholly whole cloth one of the most original characters in T V history. In fact, I think on TV Guide's list of greatest TV characters. He was in the 20s. He was like 24, or 25, which is amazing. Sure. And I just think about, like, th- that – the unusual nature of that, especially given the, like, blue-collar Boston early 80s, you know, bar setting. I, I just think it-, it adds to the longevity of the show because it shows them, even when they hire for type, like, you know, Woody coming in next season as Coach's, you know, sort of, you know, befuddled younger replacement – you know, even that character blows up and expands. And so yeah. that's really interesting that they didn't like him at first. But I mean, I guess that's that I do remember people being so invested in Sam and Diane. I can see that. And and it cracks me up because it's almost it's the lesson moonlighting never learned. Like they mm-hmm. were so overly invested in the Bruce Willis Sybil Shepherd relationship that when they consummated it, it killed the show. I mean it literally killed the show. I remember watching that episode. And thinking as a kid, like, oh, this is done. Like, every like this is just uninteresting, and I don't care anymore. And they didn't expand out the other characters. They didn't go beyond it. And so I think Cheers learned that lesson, kind of you know, coinciding with with moonlighting. And and Frazier for me is a big part of that because I don't ever think of him as the the third spoke in the or you know in the love triangle as much as I think of him as the super funny oddball character that populates the bar. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and maybe it's—I mean—it could be the benefit of hindsight of looking at, it, but you—you yeah. you think of like the character. I—I I think what they—they they wisely did. I mean, the other way they could have taken his character would be a character that they had already done on the show, which was Sam or Diane's fiance from the pilot, Sumner, yeah. who was her professor and who had the ego and the erudition and the education and all of those things, and was funny to the audience but obnoxious to everybody <laughs> in the in the world of cheers they hated him because he was just dripping with this contempt for these people <laughs> and like this was so so above them so they could have gone that way and i think wisely they they decided to go somewhere else and they also did something that i think was something that had kind of been intriguing and fascinating the writers from the beginning was this idea of psychotherapy and mm-hmm. psychiatry as early as the third episode, Carla has to see a therapist for anger management issues so she doesn't get fired. Um, And they bring that in a couple of times. They talk about, you know, like shrinks and something. And and a few people make, like, derisive jokes about it. But they've also, I mean... I mean, like, like as a kid, like I never knew, like that there were this was something that there was a lot of stigma about against like mental health or something because I was watching this show at such a young age, and there were characters like Fraser and Lilith who were regular members of this bar and this was their profession and the people took them seriously and respected them, Uh and, and I think it was just fascinating that the you're dealing with a, a setting where people are drinking to forget about their problems to get away mm-hmm. from the day I mean that's in the theme song <laughs> to, to, kind of, <laughs> to kind of to escape from their life and your protagonist your hero is a guy who suffers from a lot of addictions yeah. so to bring a therapist character into it could be dangerous and it could upset things but the the guy the guys doing the show are just all really really good at their jobs
1: Yeah, and it is interesting to think about the early '80s view of psychiatry—that it is this like elitist. You know, the only the only depiction of it is Lilith and you know our Lilith and Fraser Crane, (laughs) and this very elitist, sort of pompous, and even even sort of pretentious and put upon. Like Diane in the next episode, not to spoil anything, has that great flashback to her croquet game (laughs) that where she meets Fraser. And so even, you know, even there, they're, they're always sort of poking holes in, you know, anybody who walks in with any sort of arrogance in that show, you know, the, the holes get poked in them quickly, which is great. But it is funny to think about that because we jump from that in the eighties to like Robin Williams and Goodwill hunting in the nineties. Right. Yeah. Like the, like psychiatrist is like, you know, rooting out in the, in what's, what's wrong in the psyche and helping the person recover, you know, to, I don't know, 2020, maybe, you know, evil Machiavellian villains. I don't know. Like, I don't know how the, the the view of the profession has evolved but it is pretty funny to see that and i do love that in the episode he he is an oddball and he is an outlier even the way he's dressed you know is is markedly different and the way he speaks is so clipped you know and and is is so different i mean he's brilliant as an actor like i that clipped speech pattern kills me and i and but even then He's this sort of mysterious other that they're all hanging on to it was a lifeboat and and I know we'll get to it, but that great moment at the end of the episode where they convince Sam to talk to him. And it's it's yeah, you're right. There's this sort of otherworldliness to it. And then I mean the also the the, you know, rapid nature with which Sam begins to turn things around, you know, <laughs> is, is not necessarily how sobriety works, but it is it's pretty cleverly done. And I, I love what Frasier brings. He's not super present in this episode, no. but, but for me, this is the start of the show I really love.
0: Uh, interesting little fun fact. Uh, as Cliffy would say, it's a little-known fact. The, <laughs> the producers originally wanted John Lithgow for the show, for the, oh. for the part, uh, and he passed. He didn't want to do it. Um, and then they gave it to Kelsey Grammer based on his audition scene like basically the way he, he, I don't know it was probably a script for the second episode or something because it was based on an audition scene he did with Ted Danson and they just really liked their chemistry, uh, which I think is great because the reason Ted Danson got the job, they didn't originally want him for Sam but he got it because of his chemistry with Shelley Long so I, I just think it's funny like that the, the the producers didn't necessarily like want these certain characters, but they they let the actors do the do the work, and they're like, yeah, this is definitely the person who who fits it. So we can just change the character to to fit the actor to work off the actor's strong parts. So
1: well, and that's one of those funny what ifs where it's not hard to imagine it. Like I, John Lithgow could plug and play in this role, I think really really well. I, I think he probably brings a mania to the role mm-hmm. that Grammer doesn't. You know, and he's got a little the the. Harry and the Henderson's DNA in him where, you know, he can sort of ramp it up really quickly. That where grammars a little more, I don't know, even keel or, you know, and, and when he does explode, it's more Shakespearean, Yeah, but I, but I could see it. I could easily see John Lithgow. I mean, I was, I was surprised enough to see Christopher Lloyd, you know, in the, yeah. the end of season two and Christopher Lloyd without gray hair, which I didn't know existed. I assumed that man was born with gray hair. It, it was, it's yeah, it's interesting. And I think, you know, grammar in particular is so occupies that role that it's almost you know I mean you know he's obviously he's had other roles including Hank McCoy you know yeah, he was yeah, the, the beast, beast of the X Men but even then he was just Frazier with blue fur like I, you know <laughs> exactly. I mean and everybody knew it like it wasn't you know there was I mean no that's mystery why you there. cast
0: him in a superhero exactly movie, is to
1: do that yeah it's hard to picture him as as anything else and I have to say you know he had some uh, struggles yes. as a, as a person in his life and when I would read about those I was always more caught off guard than I should have been. Even as an adult, knowing, you know, well, the actor isn't the role like, you know, obviously they're two separate things. And but he was so good at occupying Frasier and Frasier was such a part. I mean, literally, literally, I grew up with him like I Mm -hmm. I went from childhood to adulthood with him on my TV and I was a big fan of Frasier. So I watched that show pretty religiously. And, you know, it was always funny for me to to see these problems and these struggles he'd have in his real life because I was like, God, he seems so balanced and together. And I'm like, you idiot. <laughs> He's just that good at playing that character. Like, you know, and he, he apparently was really good because Kelsey Grammer, the man, was definitely not as balanced as, as Fraser Crane.
0: Right, right. The teaser we see as a way of kind of getting into the story and, and bringing everything back to center. The teaser starts off with Cliff coming back from being in Florida for two weeks. <laughs> this will be something that he does throughout the entire season and maybe beyond that but he throughout the season he is constantly talking about Florida and his Florida vacation and and interesting facts about Florida some of them not so interesting um, but that, so that's just that's his thing of kind of getting back and the teaser is him. He goes up. He's trying to tell people and nobody cares. He walks up to coach and he's telling coach about how this trip really got him back to center and he feels more at peace and he's more at one. And while he's doing this, coach isn't listening because coach is making a drink with a blender and he's just running the blender and it's oh like it's louder than Cliff can tie. And Cliff gets so frustrated that he rips off Cl- coach's clip-on tie and shoves it in the blender. <laughs> And without a beat, coach just lovably like takes it, the, pours the drink with his tie, and he's like, "Anybody want a my tie?" And he starts laughing, <laughs> and he, he thinks it's hilarious because he's like, "Cliffy, did you hear me? My tie, Cliffy, my tie."
1: That yeah. moment is delivered so beautifully because you know it's it's scripted, right? It's mm-hmm. the it's the open, and you know that uh, you know Cliff, John Ratzenberger is <laughs> expecting this moment. He knows it's coming, but the delivery coaches <laughs> unbridled joy. <laughs> At his own like little wordplay play is so infectious that I, I I watched this episode several times and I kept zooming in on Ratzenberger in that moment because he's supposed to be frustrated he's supposed to be angry <laughs> yep. and he puts his head between his hands because he's clearly cracking up <laughs> and he doesn't know what to do he's fully broken he's broken character fully because he's he for a minute realizes that he puts a pained expression on his face like oh I'm no one's listening to me and then he just puts his head down and gives into the moment. And Coach is just reveling, and I love that moment so I, – I, it's a silly joke. It's not a joke that should resonate as much as it does, but the delivery lands so hard that I was cracking up at just the joy of it. And it, and it obviously just kills John Ratzenberg. Like he does not – he does not know how to stay in character in that moment, which is, which is awesome.
0: And I think that I think you're absolutely right because I think that's what Coach is zeroing in on. I think yeah, Nicky oh, yeah. Calisanto, when they were filming, knew that John Ratzenberger was breaking, and he's just pushing it. He's like, "My tie, <laughs> do you get it? My tie," and he's like laughing in his face because he wants he wants to get that reaction. And usually, the directors would say, "That's not the right take. We're not going to use that one." But they're like, "Nope, that was perfect. That's what we needed." So.
1: It's like a Saturday Night Live moment when one character is breaking and the other is not in the <laughs> scene, and the one that's not starts digging, like "Talk to me, look at me, like what's going, on? like really pushing the other person uh-huh. because they know what's happening." And you're right; you don't see that in scripted filmed sitcoms, and I love that they let that moment go because it's also one of the you know we're not going to have Coach much longer on the uh-huh. show, which is really sad. And this is one of those moments where you're react, you know, you're reminded of what that character brought, like that, like just childish awesome glee that you know woody can bring and woody's woody harrelson obviously is a brilliant actor and is, you know is great but just that that piece that you never recapture and it, it was just i love that moment as the opening to the episode and i just love john ratzenberger completely breaking down and them just going yeah whatever it's too good let's go with it
0: <laughs> coach uh, coach was so good in this episode in particular yeah. Um, and he he was sick, and it was like he knew, like he was in he was in rough shape. And actually, if you watch him at the end of season two, and then this season, it looks like he's like twenty pounds lighter, if not more. Yeah. Like he, like he he was sick, and it was it was bad. And I don't know if if the rest of the cast knew about it or if he was keeping it under wraps. But um, yeah, he he was he was sick. He had this heart condition, and he will not survive the season, unfortunately. Um, but he is just so good in this particular episode. Um, and he's actually he's. I I need to go back and see if it's the first time. It might be because when he shows up at Diane's place, he's wearing the a Red Sox jacket. Uh-huh. He's got like the Red Sox jacket. In later seasons, Sam has that uh, has an identical jacket, and I think it might. It might. I think it's supposed to be the same. The jacket, like he's wearing mm-hmm. Coach's old jacket. I don't know. I mean, they're different. Sizes and body types, so possibly
1: not. But well, it could have been their team jacket from when they were, yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah, on the Red Sox together.
0: Yeah. All right, we'll get we'll get into like the the meat of like what happens with Coach. But I did I wanted to mention the one other kind of subplot that's introduced in this one is when Norm shows up to the bar. He and Vera are trying to get pregnant. <laughs> now. If you watch the show, you know that that plot doesn't really go anywhere, um, yeah. but they, they do get some uh, some jokes out of that, the fact that they've been trying to get pregnant for a couple months. But how hard are they actually trying because Norm makes the joke. It's like The doctors say if we don't get pregnant soon, we might have to do something drastic, might have to sleep together.
1: <laughs> it's, it's such a – you know it's coming. Yeah. You can see it coming a mile away, and right. it's still great. And I love again, John Ratzenberger. In that moment, like you don't mean. And you know, I don't. I actually kind of wonder what he's going to say in that moment, yeah. because I don't think in vitro fertilization was even on the table back then. Or you know, if, if if it was, it wasn't common enough to be in like sitcom lexicon. Like I don't think the normal audience would have gotten it. So I'm kind of wondering where he's going there, or if he's leading up to like you know adoption or something. It's just, it's just adoption, a weird yeah, moment. Or surrogacy, something like that. Maybe. Yeah, something. And then, and then you know, when's delivery of that moment so great, where he's like, "I'm gonna have to sleep with her," and it's just such an awesome deadpan moment, and I loved it. Yeah. It was, and then, it, I mean, it's it's followed up by later when he gets a call at the bar, and, and it's, coach is like, "Hey, it's Vera. Her cycle is peaking," and he's so great. He's like, you know, he's like, "Look, even Secretariat got to be in the mood every once in a while," and it's it's just such an awesome outro as he you know takes off outside out of the bar and. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and Cliff and the gang they they follow they they sing him out of the bar. They sing an elephants and oh, yeah. song. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> fall in love. Yeah,
1: it is. It's really great, and it's funny too. It's funny that you say it doesn't go anywhere because I I didn't remember this subplot, and I'm watching it. And I'm like. I'm like, there's no way Norm has a kid. And and you and I, especially as fathers of young children, yeah. we know for damn sure that man doesn't have a kid because he wouldn't be in that bar every night. Like he would be like, there's no way he has anything resembling a social life if he has a child. And so I actually had this really weird moment of like my suspension of disbelief would only go so far. And I was like, there's no way a father of a newborn kid's in that bar. And then, you know, I realized, oh, OK, they, they just never they abandoned it at some point. It was worth it for those jokes, though, because those are really great.
0: Yeah. I mean, they managed to get Frasier and Lilith into the bar quite a few times. Even, yeah, that's even, true. Even when they had to bring the baby with them. But, yeah. Okay, so then we get to – so Sam shows up. Or they kind of like – they once once Cliffy and Norm are reunited and they kind of they, – they use that as a way of explaining what Sam's state has been since – The breakup and prior to this, I mean, it was established in the beginning that Sam was a recovering alcoholic. They really only dealt with it one time in a season one episode when Sam almost relapsed, and it was one of my favorite episodes uh, because they dealt with a, a very serious thing and they they managed it to be heartfelt and also funny. Now here we actually have Sam; he has been drinking again. What did you think of the depiction of
1: Sam's? Drunken behavior. So I, I, you know, I struggled with it a little bit from a, a twenty twenty lens, and I, you know, I'm just, I had to. I was like, you need to let this go. This is a funny sitcom from the eighties. You know, I don't. I need to not be quite as invested in there that they're following the twelve steps correctly. <laughs> but I, at first, I was like, okay, you know, they're kind of playing this up for laughs, and and then I actually really enjoyed the way they took the turn into a you know a little bit of an intervention you know, in the bar. And, and I love when, when Sam, cause they've, they've laid the groundwork over the first couple of seasons that coach, you know, is this parental figure for Sam and he helped get him sober and, you know, and, and they, they've talked about it, but to see the, the anguish on his face, when he sees the signs he saw before hmm. and he knows what's coming, he knows the cycle, he recognizes it and he's pleading for him to not go down that path again. That felt very real. I was like, Oh, okay. That's a little heavier than I expected from this show. This is pretty great. And then having that little mock intervention was really awesome. And then that moment when Sam has, you know, he like at first, you know, he's kind of going through the the typical stages with any sort of addiction, where you're confronted with it, where he kind of denies it and like, oh, I'm in control, oh, I'm having fun, you guys are ganging up on me, like all those tropes. Right. And if they had stayed in that for too long, I you know I would have been like, ah, uh, you know. But the fact that they veer away from it pretty quickly. And that moment when he, he has the, the beer in his hand, it's a Coors. It's that old, you know, that yeah, old weird yeah. Coors bottle from the 80s. And he has that Coors in his hand and he puts it down and he kind of hand waves it away. And he's like, oh, there you go. See. And then he has this moment where he let, takes a breath. And, you know, Ted Danson's obviously a great actor. He takes a breath and he's like, OK, maybe I am drinking too much. And then you're like, OK, this is going to be OK. Like he he got to that moment. So I think they, you know, they condensed it because it's a, an 80s sitcom But it was pretty awesome. I liked the way they they confronted it. I thought they did, you know, you know, and especially if you consider part two of this this you know season opener, I think they do a pretty good job with it. Like what about you? Were you I mean for nineteen eighty, you know, three, it's it's pretty or eighty four, it's pretty epic.
0: Yeah, and I caution this with me my understanding is if they they had to make this a a a sitcom that where you yeah. you had to come out of this episode still loving these characters and they couldn't break sam down the way they might if they was actually doing an honest realistic depiction of alcoholism Mm -hmm. and and the battle and what an intervention might look like and how nasty it would get i mean carla says he's he's been acting like a jerk and we see him being inconsiderate we don't see him being really nasty the way you might expect the way he could really really zero in on people and hurt them Mm -hmm. um but you also you don't you 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 can't cause cause that could go to a place where you could never recover from it. And all at the end of the day, we need to still love Sam. So they see they show him being at this stage of his drinking very selfish. Uh, inconsiderate but still generally fun loving and, and pleasing and he's going after girls he's laughing he's he's wearing a cool hat um and you know like norman cliver acting like they're jealous of it and they they wish <laughs> they could they could be having that time but uh but coach knows knows what's coming around the corner so i think they balanced it very well of showing that he was in a different place he was at, he was behaving differently in a way that could get very destructive without making him a damaged unlikable drunk character that a person might reject the way people sometimes do reject people in their lives when they're drunk
1: mm-hmm. uh, or
0: when they encounter that you know they don't always forgive them very easily so it, i i think yeah, I, I'm always kind of balancing this. It's like, well, you know, I've seen other depictions of, you know, alcoholism or other experiences that looked, you know, so much more gritty and raw and realistic. It's like, but that's not what this show is. That's not why yeah. I watch Cheers. So ultimately, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that they showed it. They, they gave us a glimpse of it, but they also basically by the end of this episode, it's done with. 'Cause we'll see, you know, by the time we get to, to rebound part two, you know, he's he's in his therapy with Frazier, but it's not yeah. it's it's no longer the struggle that he's got to this place where he's going to come out of it. He's going to quit drinking again by the end of this. So they did it as well as could be done.
1: And I would give them credit for you know, again, given the time period, I don't know that the general public was as aware of the the twelve steps mm-hmm. or some of the the actual like progression of, of sobriety. Even the awareness in that show that somebody who's an alcoholic is always an alcoholic and that, you know, sobriety is like a one day at a time thing. Even that's pretty cool. Like that's pretty revolutionary. I was like, oh wow. Like I, I wouldn't expect even that level of depth you know, from a, a sitcom in the eighties. But it is one of the things I think that separated it was they could drop in, and you guys talked about this on the season two finale, they could drop in these moments where it was like a bit of a dramedy for a little bit and then but then they'd go back to the comedy because at the end of the day, that's why you're showing up. Like you're pulling up to the bar because you want a funny rejoinder, you know, right. from Carla. And you want, you know, you want that banter and you want the the lovable, you know, cast that feels like family. But I, I do admire their willingness to to go it down that road. And then it's just a, a nice parallel, too, that Diane goes to a sanitarium <laughs> and he falls off the wagon. And it's like they're so destructive. They're so bad for each other. But the, even their breakup destroys them for you know a good six months. And so the parallel of that is really nice. And, and I do like the, the power dynamic shift. You know, from previous episodes of her coming back and him being in need and and it being a much more sort of like loving and humane approach. I mean, in the end, she still has to play to his ego to get him to admit, you know, agree to meet Frazier by saying, like, well, I knew I was right, you know, and, and I knew you wouldn't do it. And then, he, you know, he's all do it just to prove her wrong. But it's it's less manipulative in the way they were in the first couple seasons and like more caring and 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 i think there's a little recognition at least or at least a start of a recognition of how destructive they can be for each other and then also like maybe how much they care about each other because you said something and I, you've said it before but you said something interesting in your in the season two finale about the, how they have nothing in common as a couple like they're you know they're they the basis of their relationship is just is fury and passion and i'm sure that makes for some great you know <laughs> nighttime activities but it also makes for some really ugly you know like fights and and just treatment of each other and this seems to me like the part where they're starting to build what could actually be the foundation of a relationship but i i like that again for me this feels like where cheers and, and seasons one and two are amazing mm-hmm. but this feels like where cheers starts growing up a little bit And i really like that
0: and and we'll see that sort of develop is what kind of relationship can they have if they're not a couple? Like I mean, yeah. and, that, and that's a question that is not answered in this episode. We'll see that play out uh, later on. Could they be friends if they if they know each other that well now? That be, because of their intimacy and their relationships, uh, you, I mean, you you pointed it out. She knows how to play him. She knows mm-hmm. what trick to pull. To get him to that point, like she, it's a little bit manipulative. I mean, she she definitely knows like how how to play him to get him to to go along with this. She has to hit his ego and challenge him in a certain way, where he'll be like, okay, I can't let her be right, so I'm going to do the thing that she wants me to do to prove her wrong. And it's it's, but she's like, she'll she'll she gave him enough room, and she's like, okay, this is the way it's got to be. It's got to be played. And yeah, the the thing about it, we do, we do need to get to the the the, the scene in her apartment because she comes back. She's <laughs> been at a Santa vacation, as she keeps correcting <laughs> herself, the sanitarium. And we get this little cameo that she's driven home by Boggs. Yep. Uh, we get this character played by Duncan Ross, who previously appeared in one episode in season one. Boggs was Diane's mom's chauffeur and by the end of the episode, maybe her mom's fiancé, so like Boggs might be like her stepdad or something like that <laughs> at this point but he drove her back from this this place and they have all these jokes like why Diane's mom wouldn't have called her at the, sanita- the sanitarium or wouldn't have written her a letter because she's afraid of being analyzed by the shrinks and everything <laughs> um, and, so then Coach shows up and the brilliant moment where he knocks on the door and he's, oh, he's yeah. talking through the door because Diane doesn't want to acknowledge or let him in or, or revisit that part of her life and he's like I want you to come back and he's like it's coach and she's like you're part of my old life and, and I don't want to see you and like Western Union <laughs> and she turns the body. she's like, I could never say no to that man. She lets him in, she gives him a hug and they embrace, and he's very sincerely he's like, I'm sorry I had to fool you like that. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> it's such a sweet moment. I, I love the that's such a there's a there's a great moment with Boggs right before because Coach knocks on the door. Yes, yeah. And Diane's saying how stable and happy she is, and she goes, <gasps> And she has this big reaction. And and Boggs is like, well, and kind of looks at her, and she goes, well, you know, that's just a reaction to a startle. And then the knock comes again, and Boggs goes, whoa, and he does the same noise <laughs> yes. just to make her feel comfortable, which is really cute. Yeah, I, I, that was a great little moment. Yeah, Coach, the the what catches me, it, the, just the good quality of the acting in this show, is the moment where Coach is talking to her, and she's talking through the door, and she says, Coach, I, I love you, and I've missed you, and you actually feel. There's real affection there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know, like you said, I don't know if they knew he was sick, but there's so much affection packed into her acknowledgement of him. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that hug. And even when they sit down together, you can tell Shelley Long has just real affection for him. And and that, it was neat. and And knowing what, you know, again, I might be looking, you know, hindsight goggles, but knowing what's coming – it makes that moment even sweeter and, you know, and even more kind of humorous because, yeah, the Western Union bit, I mean, it's you – know, it was right out of Landshark, but it was great. <laughs> like it was, it, was so, it was just so well played. And What did you think about his ability to convince her to come back? Because I feel like if I was away for six months, if I had a nervous breakdown because of how I was treated by my ex and my you – know, and the place where I was employed, I don't know that I'd be that willing to run back to help. I, I, I don't know that I'm that good a person.
0: They do sort of get to it pretty quickly. They almost yeah. cut the scene maybe before it actually ended and and she might have had to talk a little bit more um and and it, you know it wouldn't surprise me if she actually had to talk to Frazier before she made the decision too um yeah. and knowing that they're they're dating I'm sure she went to him to uh to to set up the situation because yeah and and to to your earlier point like about how she reacts to him behind the scenes like Shelley Long has said that Nikki Calisanto was her only friend on the set the rest of the cast members didn't like her Oh, wow. um, i and I, I think it's just kind of her her personality was not the, like i mean it was similar to, to to Diane with the bar like she just she didn't get along she didn't have anything I, I think she kind of thought maybe she thought that she was kind of slumming in tv for a little bit longer than she needed to i think i think she wanted to leave the show Earlier than she did, but she stuck for like a five five season contract or something. Um, But Nikki Calisanto was really her only friend that she got along with on the set. And after he passed away, like the last two years on the set, she was pretty miserable because she had nobody that she talked to. Um, Apparently, she didn't even like Kelsey Grammer. Um, Oh wow! Yeah, but like yeah. So within that scene, like once he's like, I want you to come back to the to bar and see Sam, and she's and she can't even say his name. She's like, you want me to see. And, and she does this thing with her face. It's like not quite her tick. But if you watch her face, <laughs> the way it contorts when she's trying to say Sam, it is so delicious. And you're like, my god, this woman was talented.
1: She's so <laughs> good. It, it's like her face hits a brick wall. Yes, like she'll yes. like, like when she can't get past the S and it oh, it looks out of her – you're right. It looks like it is out of her control. She's that good an actor. And there's that great moment where she's like – and then she's like the bartender <laughs> yeah, you know it's so bartender. it's just awesome yeah it's such yeah. a good scene and I don't remember there being a ton of scenes of just the two of them and so I really liked getting this moment with Diane and Coach I thought it was really cool
0: yeah yeah and he he mentioned that that yeah once he says that she he started drinking again and that's sort of Kind of brings it down, and she's like "poor," s-. and he has to finish it with am. Um, and then yeah, they they cut to the conversion, and then we we go back to the bar where they're kind of setting up the intervention. So at some point, she he he might have had to do a little bit more convincing, and I'm sure Frazier might have pulled the, like played a part in getting her to confront that part of her past to really move beyond it. Um, there, there's a lot going on in this episode uh, yeah. as it's just setting up what's going forward. Um, we get these new statuses for these characters, but at the heart of it, it's still, it's really, really funny. I mean, we talked about the teaser where, where Cliff rips off uh, um, Coach's tie because it's the clip-on. That <laughs> gag gets brought back into a series mm-hmm. that I freaking love. It's a, It's a, like a three-bit series where... When Carla finds out that he's talk, he's been talking to Diane, she rips the tie off, and she like throws it on the floor. And Sam is like, "Hey, hey, hey!" Coach wouldn't have been stupid enough to go get Diane. That would never happen. And Sam helps Coach put the tie back on. And when Sam, when Coach is like, "Yeah, I'm talking about Diane," then Sam rips the tie off. <laughs> and he's like, "It's the. It's like I've got control of my drinking." And Sam's going through this whole pleading and uh, understanding thing, trying to do, you know, one of the the defense mechanisms. And he's like, and finally he's just almost crying. He's like, "I don't want to talk to Diane Chambers." And in a rage. Coach just rips his own tie off and throws it off. Like, well, you're gonna talk to her, and he's like screaming, and it's just like Rachel. Like, I love those bits; they were so well done.
1: It really, it's so, it's so good. And the thing that kills me is that, in turn. Every character is surprised that it's a clip on. Like Carla <laughs> yes. goes to grab him, and then it comes off, and she's she's jolted because she yeah. thought she was going to pull him down. Yeah. Sam actually puts the tie back on, and then is shocked a second later when he pulls it off and it's a clip on. <laughs> yeah, it's like just a great. I don't know. I, I don't know if you've talked about this on previous episodes, but this show feels like a play. Yes, like it, oh, yes, it it is. Feel, yeah, it feels like a one room, you know, like you know, one act play, and there are moments like that 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 really drive home that sort of playwright aspect of it and i really like that i that that bit cracked me up because it's such a great little bit of physical comedy and they don't draw they don't like highlight it they don't lamp, you know lampshade it it's happening while the dialogue is happening and it's really important but it's such good texture to the scene it's great
0: and you see like Sam is almost in balance by the way he pulls it off and, yeah. everything, and it really plays you like, <laughs> think like how present Ted Danson was to think about okay this character is a little bit drunk right now and he's just like tugging on this thing that suddenly gives and he's like almost falls forward because of it yeah
1: Yeah, they use the space so well in this in this episode, and even Frazier's placement at the bar, you know, and you're he's supposed to just be one of the you know nameless, faceless guys that that occupy that space. Even that is really funny because you can't help once you you know years later once you've seen the show, you can't help but flash forward that he's going to be one of those, you know, the masses at the bar who agrees with everything Sam says and cheers, everything Sam says. And it's like, you know, he's going to, he's going to become one of the very people he's there to sort of, you know, help quote unquote fix, which is great. It's just a great bit of, of the kind of visual irony. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. And, uh, any, any final thoughts on this one before we get to our superlative categories?
1: No, just that this was a, a really great episode back. And, and like I said, you know, it felt uh, it felt like the lid had been torn off the show a little bit, and I I don't know why I don't know that I would have sensed this watching it in real time, and and yeah. because there was weeks you know gaps between episodes, and there's you know the summer break and all of that stuff, and and no one was taking TV that seriously back then that they were going to analyze it in this way, but I definitely felt like at the end of season two, I was like, oh, I'm done with Sam and Diane. Like this was it was such a destructive ending. That I couldn't, I was like, I can't stick with this couple in this form any longer. Mm -hmm. And I think the show realized that. And this is the season where they start building the new version and then eventually building the new version of the show. Like you said, that's gonna last for, you know, what, eight more years, which is amazing
0: yeah it's the the new permutations every season you know the first season mm-hmm. you had the the will they get together the build up the meeting the flirting all those things and and by the end of the first season they got together and then the second season they're a couple, but all is not well and you see you see it's it's being rotted from inside and and it's it's the long painful journey to their inevitable breakup uh and then this season where are we starting is the aftermath of their breakup she's with somebody else she has rebounded and he is where is he like he he's he's in a bad place but now he thinks she still loves him and and yeah it's it's can they coexist as friends or acquaintances with somebody when they're not a couple basically and and what is that going to do to them as characters that's what we'll see over the next uh next 22 episodes or so 24 episodes i don't know there's a longer (laughs) story.
1: So. Well, the cliffhanger is great too. Just you know, the yeah. fact that it ends with him saying, "Coach, I think she's really still into me," and then they cut to Fraser and Diane at the top of the you know yeah. by the door, saying they love each other. That's a nice little sitcom you know cliffhanger. And I have to tell you, I couldn't help but flash ahead. I, Kelsey Grammer is my favorite character on the show. <laughs> I couldn't help but flash ahead a couple seasons when Diane has rejected Sam's proposal, and she goes you know regrets it the next morning, and she's desperately looking for him. She goes to the bar, and Fraser's there. And she says to him, Frasier, I hurt him so much. Can you imagine how much it must have hurt for him to propose to me to reject him? And Kelsey Grammer's just dead delivery of like, gee, I'll try. I mean, it's it's like a word balloon in a comic that's dripping with sarcasm. I mean, it was perfection. And so I couldn't help but flash ahead to some of those moments. And, and you know, if their inevitable ending, which is just brilliant, too. So, yeah, it's a great first episode.
0: They got so much comedic. Golden mileage out of the fact that he <laughs> sticks around after they break up. Uh-huh. And the way he views her, the way he talks about her and and oh god, it's it's delicious. Some of my favorite some of my favorite jokes are at Diane's expense after the after she's gone. But uh yeah, those, those will be highlights for other days. Um for Norm's tab getting back into things I clocked him as only having two beers this episode uh fairly light uh for the series now he's up to 194 he didn't quite make it to 200 but uh I'm sure that'll happen in the next couple episodes so um for the employee of the month who did you have who did you think was the MVP of this episode
1: so I I desperately wanted to give it to Fraser because it's the launching of one of my favorite characters but it's for me it's got to be coach yeah. I mean he is the He's the engine of this episode. He stirs the conflict. You know, he seeks out Diane. He brings back Diane. He holds Sam's intervention. And also he just has the best lines in this episode, like the best jokes all center around him. So, yeah, he was my clear choice. What about you?
0: I had the exact same, and it was really it was really nice and wonderful to to revisit this episode and see how good he is because he also he goes through the range of you know just being disappointed like having the the bowling over laughter and the teaser and everything to having like really funny like the one liners to getting frustrated and ripping his tie off at that one point, but also <laughs> the um the sincerity of of what it what I will just jump to it. for me the home run. The, the best part is not actually a humorous line. I've got a, a, a runner up for that, but my favorite part in this episode is actually his delivery when he goes to see Diane. He's like, You may be my only hope. Sam's boozing again. And he, he's mm-hmm. like on the verge of tears. Like his voice is almost cracking when he says it. And the emotion of that, like how heartfelt that, how. and And I think maybe maybe it's just that. Maybe it's just him saying it that way. That is what convinces Diane. Like, if he had just said, you know, Sam is same relapsed or something like that, and then that, maybe she wouldn't go back. Maybe she would just say, I'm sorry. Uh, that sucks, but I can't see him anymore. But to see her friend, this man that she loves, in such pain that he mm-hmm. can't help his best friend, and he needs her to save him for him. I think that might be what does it. And, and I get all of that from his line when he says, Sam's boozing again, because of like the quivering voice that, that Nick brought to that moment for me. Mm -hmm. Like that was like, Oh my God, uh, that's, yeah, I love that part.
1: Yeah. He's brilliant in this episode that, and then the moment too, when Sam goes into the back room with the two baton twirlers, and and the you know Cliff and, and Norm are making a joke of it, and Coach is like, no, no, this is it's going to turn. You don't understand. It all it seems fun right now, but this is where it turns. And you get he doesn't need to say it, but everything in that delivery says I'm a man who's watched a person I think of as my son basically spiral into you know the gutter, and I'm watching it again, and I'm feeling all the pain of that. So yeah, he's he brings the heat in this episode. It's awesome,
0: and I think it's because I think. Nicky Calisanto had some of that in his background too. I actually think they're like four or five members of this cast really struggled with addictions and in problems and stuff in their lives. So yeah, they they definitely knew they they had some source material for. for oh,
1: no, yeah, they got drawn to the right show. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna have, be have an addiction issue, being yeah. on a show set in a bars, yeah. you know, pretty good. <laughs>
0: um, but then my one of my runner-up for favorite bits was another. It was a coach line, but it was when. Um, when uh like uh they're talking about Norm having a kid and everything like that and and Cliff, like you know you or or Carlos says something like you're not going to be here once the kid comes along and it's like having a having a baby changes you and or he yeah and Norm says to coach he's like you got he's like you got a daughter just having a kid change you and then, and coach says are you kidding Norm the baby can't even change itself
1: <laughs> so. yeah he he's great i my we've mentioned a couple of them like my favorite coach moment in this Uh, the two are are the my tide bit just his his utter glee and then as an actor his utter joy in making his fellow actor just completely break character and then the western union bit (laughs) is so it's just it it shouldn't work at all it's corny and it you know it's so old-fashioned it shouldn't work and it just you know tells you everything you need to know about his character and about how diane feels about (laughs) him and it's it's quaint but also super cute and funny
0: I love when he we he asks her to come back to the bar, and she's like, "Does anyone ask?" Or yeah, he, he was like wondering. And she Diane says something. Does anyone at the bar ask about me? And he's like, "No, that Carla won't let them." <laughs> I, like, I love it. So, ah, uh, well, Sean, thank you very much for being on this episode and helping me kick off Cheers Cast season three. Where else can our listeners find you if they want to hear more from you?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. And this is this is a lot of fun. It's always nice to get to revisit these shows and and see them, you know, in, in a light of adulthood. Uh, if if people like what they've heard today, they can check me out on the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network. We are a comic book focused podcast network, and uh, mostly we stick to the Marvel side of the street because these other guys have DC locked down really well, and we're like, well, they're just going to do it better than we can, so we're going to stay on Marvel. And uh, we we have a Marvel Superhero Secret Wars show where we talk about every Marvel Super Secret Wars miniseries, What If cast where we talk about What If, and uh, never-ending reading pile where. Gregor and I just pick a comic book we love and and talk about it like two old men sitting around a fire, which is it's actually more exciting than that. I did a bad job pitching it. But, you know, that's that's about as good as it gets. But thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. I, I, you know, I really have loved revisiting this show and especially with, you know, the different perspectives that all your guests are bringing. And it was cool serendipitously to get to be on this episode, because, like I said, I, Fraser Cranes, you know, for 20 years is one of my favorite characters on on TV.
0: Happy to do it, happy to do it, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll make some excuse to get you back in the future. Listeners, thank you, as always, for tuning in. You know you can support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook and Twitter, or you can leave a comment on the website fireandwaterpodcast.com. Cheerscast is also available to download on Spotify, if that's where you get your podcasts. You can also support the Fire & Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to all of our patrons, and especially Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians, and Rick from Jeff & Rick Presents, unpacking the power of the Power Pack, who sponsored this show. For more information on how you can support the network in general, or this podcast in particular, visit patreon.com fwpodcasts. Thank you everyone for listening, and until next time... We're closed. Oh, for God's sakes, will you stop it, Sam? You've been boozing with two hands ever since Diane walked out on you. Oh, Sam, I'm so sorry. You know, you both are crazier than hell. I threw her out of here, and my drinking has got nothing, repeat, nothing to do with Diane Chambers. You hear that, everybody? Nothing. No, you're all wrong. Sorry. I did start drinking when she left. I was celebrating. Celebrating the day I got rid of you.
1: You hear that, everybody?
0: Celebrating. Celebrating.